thankful for the way these stories hold on to the lifetime we won't get back. I know these rivers carry. Welcome to Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore, and this is where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. And uh, this is episode 14. Kind of getting uh, today's a little more about me and, and my family, more or less. My grandfather, who uh, we're going to talk to here in just a minute, um, but I, I kind of want to explain. So, uh, aside from work. And uh, the podcast, I've been spending a lot of time at my family's print shop in Mantino uh, called Weber Printing, which closed its doors just this last year in December. And I've been helping them move out a lot of the old uh, printing machinery. I've been helping them sell it and stuff. So it's it's kind of brought back uh, a ton of memories, a lot of nostalgia. And because not only did I grow up there, but so did my mom. She worked there for so many years. And obviously, um, my uh, two of my uncles did as well. And, and we can get into more of that in a little bit. So it just kind of brought to my attention that I should uh, be having my my grandfather on who I call Papa. Um, but everyone else knows him as Frank or Franklin Weber. So hi, Papa. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, um, you have, do you, I was going to ask you, do you remember the time this have sitting down and, and talking to you right now reminds me of, I can't remember what grade I was in, but I want to say I was in maybe sixth grade or fifth grade or something. Do you remember I interviewed you for a paper that I wrote Yeah, in your, you ba- in your basement? At the old house, yeah, I guess it was in the basement. Yeah, and I think I, uh, I think I videotaped that, and I don't know if I have that anywhere, but it'd be interesting. Yeah, I kind of want to, <clears throat> and I don't know if I have that paper, but I remember that I interviewed you and I taped it, and I, I could swear it was for that paper I wrote, um, and. It, like I said, sixth grade sticks out in my mind. I guess it doesn't matter what year, but I remember um, starting off uh, the 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 opening of the paper was about the the tractor accident, which we'll get into later on. Um, that's a good story that I always like to hear about. Now it's a good bad story, I guess you could say. It's miraculous. Um, but anyway, so let's start with where did where did uh, our when when did our family officially move into Mantino or or Kankakee County? Uh, in the early eighteen hundreds, I don't know exactly what year, but they uh, lived east of Mantino 
and there's a picture, family picture. My dad was five years old. So they, they maybe moved sooner than that because he he was born in uh, 1888. Dad made him 92. They were probably born in, or uh, started out at Mantino in the 90s, 1890s, thereabouts. And they lived on a farm house uh, east of Mantino, and it's still there. Yeah, and that was on Career Center Road, right? Or No, it's on, it's north of, East and north of Man, uh, Mantino Bar. Oh, that farm. Two, okay. Two, two miles east and a, a mile uh, north, and then back east a little ways. I'm thinking of uh, later on, right? Yeah. Later on, they it went was west. Yeah, later on they moved to <clears throat> the farm on Career Center, right? Yeah. Right. And okay. Yeah, this was the very beginning. Okay. Before they were there, they were living somewhere around Tinley Park. Okay. That's where they they came. My grandparents parents came from. Germany as kids, and they settled there with their parents, and uh, I went to school, and uh, that's where my grandfather and grandmother met in Frankfurt, and uh, they they grew up there, and uh, they were uh, married in, uh, I can't tell you the year anymore, <laughs> but in uh, North Piatone Church, uh, just north of Piatone. And she was always a considered lifelong member of that church when she died. Um, and it obviously it was before you were born. Oh, way, <laughs> way before. You were born in 1933. Yeah. Um, and you were born at St. Mary's. Mary's? Yeah, that's okay. the only hospital there. And Kankakee. At, that time. at Riverside didn't come till... 60s. Yeah, it was with about 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's start from about that time from, from when you were born, what, what was going on with your parents at the time? Well, when I was born, my dad and mother were living out on the Weber farm, uh, west of Mantino and, uh, grandma was alive and he, they helped look after her and dad helped do some farming and he and his brother, Harry, and that went on. For a couple of years, and uh, they decided to uh, uh, move into town, and so they did, and they moved in a house on uh, Elm Street, across from where the Hillman's Hospital used to be, right on the corner. Yeah, and I I was born from that place. Although I was born in St. Mary's, that's where we lived, in, in from '33. Until set thirty seven, uh, that's where I lived. They they moved there in about thirty one, I think. And 32, so yeah, so and and just to clarify exactly where that's at, it's uh, right across from what used to be the Riverside Resolve Center. It's now yeah. the Iroquois Mental Health Resolve Center, is what it's called currently at this time. Yeah, but it's right. that it's that uh, that big white house yeah. you see, and now it's an apartment building, I think, isn't it? It might be empty. I don't know. I don't think it's empty. People live in it. <laughs> but uh, I always thought it was. I always thought it was. It was, it was made into a, 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 a couple different apartments there. I could be wrong, but the house is still there, and you can tell it's got age on it. Oh yeah, it's, it's old. Yeah. Um. So you move there, and then is that where the the tractor incident, incident happened? happened? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was three years old at that time, 
And uh, I was always hanging around my dad quite a bit. He was he had a machine shop and a, a wood shop out in the in the back, and he would do work out there. And I always liked to watch him work. And so this one morning, we were getting close to lunchtime. He was going to hook up his old Fordson tractor to a plow, and he because we had ten acres, and apparently he was going to plow something. I don't know if it was it was getting late to be following that ten acres. Maybe he's going to plow up some garden area or whatever. But anyway, he was going to hook up to that plow, and I was out there watching him like normal, and uh, I was stand uh, standing alongside the tractor uh, on his right side, and about the time. He was going to hook that up. My my mother uh, called out that it was lunchtime, and he saw me uh, run around the right side of the tractor, and he thought I I went to the house. He wanted to finish hooking up that tractor. His usual way of hooking up to a tractor or any uh, or an implement would be to uh, look over his right shoulder, and that's what just what he did. And uh, instead of me going to the town house like a uh, he thought I did. I got on the other side of the tractor by that rear wheel. And uh, so he he uh, st- started backing up, and all of a sudden he heard me holler. And uh, he stopped, and he looked down there. I, my leg was laying underneath that wheel uh, between the knee and the hip. Did it just happen so quickly that you, you didn't see that the wheel was well, coming they, towards yeah, you? They, or? They, that, yeah, the nettle tractor was a jerky thing. Anyway, at least it was in the later days when I knew it. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't smooth operating like the ones we know today. And so he got off that tractor and uh, went to raise the tractor and pull me out. And that tractor had wide... Um, what do you I call them? I call them spikes. spikes. Uh, kind of, well, they're not pointed like a spike, but no, they're uh, why, uh, a rung... Um, can't think, think of the name. Lug, no spokes, Spoke. wide spokes, about three three inches wide, and uh, and and uh, and they were the wheel was narrow at the at the hub where the axle is, and the in the tread part of the track the wheel was wide, so they were on an angle coming out from the middle, and he put his shoulder up against that those uh, spokes, and he. He, put, he raised that tractor up with his shoulder, and he pulled me out. I was talking about the, um, the I guess it's the treads on the actual oh, oh, wheel. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that tractor had what they call lugs on it, and, uh, and those things would kind of fill up with dirt when you're using it. And uh, luckily, I think at that time they were, because when he ran over me, it, it broke the bone in my, big bone in my leg at, between a, hip and a knee, and uh, was lucky. My uh, kids that age, uh, from the knee to the hip, is not very long, and yet it happened to go in between the two joints and not hurt the joints. It just broke the bone. And it just broke it. It didn't actually puncture your skin, right? No, it just broke it, and they slipped past one another. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, anyway, he, he did what I just said. He lifted that thing up and pulled me out. And uh, I think my mother called our druggist in town and had her, him come over with his car. And uh, I remember a little bit that I can remember that they laid me in his back seat with a board under my leg. <clears throat> That's about all I remember of it.
And uh, they took me to St. Mary's Hospital, and uh, they x-rayed it and found out the bones had slipped past one there, so they had to put me in traction. And in those days, <clears throat> things were kind of cruel, or not cruel, but uh, crude, I guess you'd say. And all they used was tape to hold your foot up against uh, a rope fair, uh, and that would pull on your leg to try and get the bones to come together again because they were laying kind of side by side for a ways. So it was one of those, <clears> like, <throat> your foot's on like a, uh, it's up on a Yeah, a the, pulley my or... foot's raised up in, in the air, and it's on a, a rope, and the, pull, and the rope goes over a pulley with a weight down on the other side of the bed, and that's supposed to gradually pull uh, my leg out and get the bones to match. Then they can set the leg. Well... Three years old, I was wiggling a lot, and it was in the summertime. It was hot and sticky and, and uh, no air conditioning back then. <clears throat> and uh, I wiggled around, and the tape had come loose, and it wasn't doing any good. So Dr. Hamilton was our doctor at that time, and uh, he had told the nurses to have mother call and go to his, uh, his office and see him so uh, he could tell her what, what problem was going on. So she did. And uh, they agreed that they were going to drill a hole in my heel and uh, run a pin through the heel and stick it on that bracket that uh, my foot would set in. And then it wouldn't move away from there. And eventually I got it pulled back into place. And then they, they set the leg in the cast and I came home. So that's pretty much how that story went. And my leg healed up fine after all of that. And... It, there was something, if they wouldn't have done the, well, with the he pin, her, <clears throat> you would have had a limp, right? Yeah, he told my mother, if, if uh, we don't do this, he says that boy's going to have a limp the rest of his life because the bones will be past one another and his leg's going to be short. So it was cut and dried that she had to do something like yeah, that. Yeah, because those bones had to come back <clears throat> together so they yep. could grow properly. And and that's what they did, and, and it worked. And I think... One of my, my one of my favorite parts of this story is while you were in the hospital, what else was happening in the hospital that day? Oh, yeah. We found out later, a lot later, that uh, my present wife was born while I was in the hospital at three years old. Yeah, it's that, just it's just wild to me. That was, yeah, we didn't <laughs> know, know that until a number of years later. We kind of put things together and figured that out. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> That's what kind of took place there. And we know that would have been July 22nd, because that's when kid's birthday that's is. That's her birthday, yeah. So yeah. it happened right in that era. Yeah. That's just so funny to me. <laughs> kid's got something. Kid is what I call my grandmother, by the way. Oh, yes. So, as you can imagine, the that Fordson tractor was so heavy. I yeah. mean, the thing is... It's all metal. It's all yeah, it's iron. All cast iron. All very, cast iron. Very heavy. Yeah. Well, uh, some things I'm thinking about uh, that afternoon. Different people in town. Some of the men folks heard about what happened, and they all came over there, and they all tried to raise that tractor up, and they couldn't budge it. So, I never thought much about it until the last few years, and what took place over there. And he didn't do that alone. He had the help of God, I think, helping him raise that tractor because there's no way he could have raised that tractor up. And then what I didn't realize until, and all of, you know, this story and, and so many other stories can be found 
in uh, my grandfather's memoir, uh, which is uh, the Prairie Land Printer that uh, he put together along with my oldest brother, Josh. And I didn't realize till I read the book about all the different uh, was hernia issues that your father had. What well, well, uh, he had some. Well, he had hernia problems. Right, but you're, for, that for probably time. stemmed from that. It could have. That might, be, might have been where he got it. I, we, we don't know that. I, I mean, to but, me, that makes sense because that, well, yeah, that but he, tractor he was, was so heavy. He was doing heavy work yeah. anyway, running a sawmill and, and doing different things. And yeah, but not, not, you know, <laughs> picking yeah. up a, a however many no p- thousand-pound tractor. And my growing up, that that's what caused him to have that problem. Yeah. Just don't know, but it's right. interesting it's, to wonder. Right, it's a it's a it's a good yeah. possibility. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. You know, um, so you know from so you know three years old, you you heal up, your 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 leg heals up, um, and I suppose you know your story really gets interesting when you turned eleven. Um, obviously things happened before then, but eleven that that was the year that you discovered your what your like life right what you like to do your lifelong yeah. passion but in between that uh w- after that accident happened and we stayed on that place uh that was in 33 in 1937 that house we lived in belonged to my dad's sister and they wanted to sell it so we had to find a place to live so there was a another 10 acres on the east side of town along high, highway 50 and uh they bought that, and we and we moved over there in '37. Between '33, well, actually, I got hurt in '36. So yeah. between '36 and '37, uh, I was still on that place. And then we moved over on the east side of town, and, I, and that's where I stayed until the last few years ago. Right, um, and that's where the the print shop stands yeah, to this some, day. Some of that property, yeah. Yeah. So and. Uh, the the house that you built there too is still there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we we still have uh, how many acres left of that ten acres? Just a couple lots. Yeah. But anyway, once we were over there, uh, and I went to school like normal, like other kids did, and played around and had a good time. And I, uh, I in fifth grade, apparently, I was wanting to do something different i wanted to make a, my name and my address somehow and uh so i went to the hilson house drugstore and i bought a rubber stamp was that in Shit. town was yeah. that a mantino hilson yeah. okay and uh, i brought that home and i could take those rubber pieces apart and slip them in a, a, a slide and make your name franklin Weber on the top and then i could put my p.o box at that time and mantino down at the bottom, and I thought that was pretty cool. And then <clears throat> that same summer, after I had that, I'd go visit my aunt and uncle in Chicago for a week, usually. Where exactly in Chicago? Do you um, remember? 69th and Wentworth. Okay. In the south side. And uh, this particular time I was there, uh, the lady next door, Mrs. Babcock, uh, called me over to the fence line and and uh, she handed me this little printing press that she found in the attic that uh she figured her sons must have had that at one time and she thought i might like that so she gave it to me and i thought that was pretty pretty decent pretty neat at that time but i wasn't excited yet but uh 
my uncle come home that night and, and he worked for an engraving company in Chicago that worked with printers and he was quite familiar with a lot of that stuff. So he was he was getting excited like I was starting to get that way. And uh, so he helped me uh, work up uh, putting all that together and he got some new rollers for the little printing press and, and uh, not that particular time, but I, I went back there a couple of weeks later and we brought some uh, little thin strips of wood that Dad had in his backyard, and we had to make a type case to put type in. And and he had a picture one, but we, did, we really didn't know the sizes of it. But anyway, I f kind of figured something out. And uh, he had a little uh, foot-levered jigsaw down in his basement, and I used that thing to cut all those little pieces out and notch them so they would fit over one another. And uh, I'm, I made a typecase just like the regular ones, only it's not exactly the same size, but it worked. Do you still have that no, typecase? I, no. After I got some other typecases and things, I that wasn't <laughs> like the rest of them, and I yeah. should have kept it, but I didn't. So we worked with that for a while, and uh, I got a, some small type. First, I got some larger type. When maybe this next time... I went to Chicago with him. He uh, took me to work with him one day in his office where he was. And at noontime, one of his accounts was a Prairie Farmer WLS print shop. And uh, so we went, went over there and watched what they call at the time the dinner bell program. And uh, after that was over, we went downstairs to the print shop. And he'd already been telling those fellows about his nephew getting this little printing press. And uh, they thought that was kind of cool. And so he introduced me to them, and they talked to me. I don't know what all we talked about, but anyway, it was, it was interesting because that was all big stuff to me. And uh, they showed me their big rotary press that they printed their magazine on and whatnot. And, and uh, one fellow went into a cabinet where they keep things, and he brought out a little package, and it had a font of 18-point Bedoni type. That was the name of the style of the type. And he gave me that. So my first font of type come from Prairie Fiber WLS. And I thought that was that was a pretty nice thing, too. So that's how I got started with that little bitty press. And I'd, I'd print postcards and uh, with that big type on that. And uh, I, I bought some other small type to print on envelopes and whatnot. Because I was kind of limited that the press wasn't very big. So I just would do little cards and... I printed that for uh, a couple of years, and then eventually I picked up a, a bigger printing press that had been uh, uh, in Mantino, and, and that relates back to when I was in Chicago, because once I got that little printing press, then uh, I think one of the times my cousin was also over there for the week, and he's a little bit older than me, and uh, and. We went down the, the the alley across the 69th Street, and there was a printer over there. And we went in and talked with him and got to know him pretty good and and uh, asked him questions like I like to do. And uh, we'd come home, and he had a printing press over there that he wanted to sell. But I wasn't needing that kind of a press or a way to get it home because it was big and heavy. <laughs> Uh, but in but Mantino, you wanted it though. <laughs> yeah, in Mantino at that particular time, uh, a friend of ours had a 
contracting business going, and, and they were making Coca-Cola boxes out of wood at that time. It was during the war. And they'd have to go to the local newspaper, and they would print this on this wood, uh, uh, the Coca-Cola design. And that printer always had to readjust its press for that thick wood compared to thin pieces of paper. And after a while, he was kind of getting tired of that. And I heard about that, and I told him, well, there's a, a printer in Chicago that wants to sell a press that could print on that. So uh, I called my aunt and got his phone number in Chicago, and they called him up and talked with him and ended up buying that press and brought it over here. And they used it until that they didn't make Coca-Cola boxes anymore. And then eventually uh, he gave it to me, and I brought it home. And then I was able to print on a much bigger sheet, about 8.5 by 11. And uh, I, uh, when one year I, I, in school, you got these tablets you have to write a lot of stuff on. So I took the tablet apart and and uh, made up my name and grade seven and and uh, place for put the year and whatnot. And I printed some uh, tablet sheets and then I glued them back together again. And I and I used that for for a seventh and. Eighth grade, I guess. But anyway, I still <laughs> so you're got the some only of kid that had their name yeah, actually I was the typed only one out. That had my name printed on. <laughs> so, so I started doing that when I was in seventh grade. So just to kind of clarify, um, someone that might not be familiar with the the type of printing we're talking about, we're talking about letterpress. Yeah. So you want to explain exactly how a letterpress works? Simply, well, letterpress the. All the words that you use to make, or the type of material you use to make up words, are pieces of lead with a uh, design on the on the one end of it, which is A B C D or whatever it happens to be, and uh, you line uh, words up one letter after the other and fit them into a. Uh, we had a, a we call a composing stick, and you'd uh, line up you hold that in your hand and you keep. You put your, the letters side by st side, starting from the left to the right, and the letters are upside down. And you would put all your words in there, and then you had spacing material, and you would uh, space out the words so they would fit tight, and they designated the length of line that you wanted it set in. And you did that for whatever lines you had to do, and then you had to take them out, and you had to put them in what we call a chase, and that was a f steel frame that fit in the press when I, you had all your type locked up. In this frame, you had some uh, wood material to go uh, fit around it to, so it'd hold it in place. And in printer's terms, they call that furniture. So we we get all our furniture in there and make everything fit tight. And we had some wedges, which they called at the time coins. And they had a, a little tool on there, and those coins were tapered. And you'd turn them in a certain way, and they'd expand, and they'd lock that type up in that steel chase uh, nice and tight. Then you would pick it up and, and, and lock it in the printing press and, and the rollers would run over it and ink it up. And, and uh, you, a lot of people have seen these little printing presses with a big round uh, white or uh, round wheel, not a wheel, a, a plate, I guess you call it, at the top and the rollers that pick up their ink off of that. And anyway, you put that paper on this one part and it would move itself forward to the type and it would uh, impress the paper onto that inked up letter type, and then it would move back and you'd take it out and you'd print another one. That's how it all started. Uh, they did that, uh, work like that for lots of years. And then in order to 
you know, I'm sure some are thinking, well, what about pictures? How do you print a picture? Well, that's where my uncle came in, where he worked. That's all they did was make picture plates to put in magazines and in school books and encyclopedias. They did real fine work over there. So they make they make the plates over there. They give them a, a picture and they make a copy of it on, with photography. And then they would run it through some chemicals and uh, eventually they would it would etch into a piece of copper and and uh, there would be a lot of little dots in there and that would make up an image of of a person or just maybe it's just type it's hard to say what they would be using it for but that that's how you got the plates made and they were uh, the same height as the type so they they all fit in that chase uh together with the type and then you could print it and then when you were talking about the the company that made the Coca-Cola yeah. um, boxes, that was where the Amer- the Mantino American Legion is today, right? No, it was that, that building. No. This this place was out near Lake Mantino as it is now. Before it was the old brickyard back in the forties. And uh over the years there was a horseshoe factory in that same building after they weren't there anymore. And then uh, other things have been in there. The machine shop has been in that building. Now it's belong, uh, some people with ambulances keep their ambulances in there. But that's where all that was done. Uh, make, they'd cut out the wood to size and paint it. And then they'd come over to the this one uh, building. And uh, they had some guys that'd stand there and feed those pieces into the press and, and uh, take them out and stack them so they'd dry. And then they would have... Uh, uh, ladies in town put all that to, together for them. They made up special jigs uh, to hold all the, all the parts of that box in, in a jig and put your, your sides in and the end ends and the bottom pieces. And they had some metal straps that fit all the way around the ends to hold it all together. And they would st- uh, they made a machine uh, to uh, to a, like be like a punch only. It was a uh, it was a, a kind of a, a punch, but it was flat and it was magnetized and you'd put a nail on there and you push down on it and it would go through that metal into the wood. And eventually it would go all the way around that box and that'd make the box secure so it wouldn't fall apart. If they didn't have the band on it, they could have come apart easy, but the band made sure everything stayed together. And they made those for about three, four years maybe. And what was the, do you remember the name of that? Automotive Improvement Company. Okay, that was the name of the place. Uh, Mr. Schreffler was running at. Okay. <coughs> I don't know why I thought, for some reason, I thought your book had referenced the where the Mantino American Legion is oh, today. Oh, that was another thing I talked about where they, during the war, that was a defense organization. Oh. And they made parts for machine guns over there. Okay. <coughs> That's. And I, I was in there several times because they, they did a lot of drilling and, and you have to use a lot of oil. Uh, to, to, so the drills don't get hot. And uh, my dad had this sawmill, and uh, we had a lot of sawdust, and uh, he, they would buy sawdust from us, and uh, he'd take it over there in, in the big gunny sacks, and uh, they could sop up the oil, and I went with him, so I got to see all what was going on, which was interesting to me. And that was back in the 43, probably 44, somewhere in there. Yeah, right in the right in the middle of the war. Yeah, yeah. that's before I got interested in printing. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because that didn't happen until <clears throat> ni- uh, 1944, right? 19. 
1940. Yeah, about 44, yeah. Yeah, it would have been 44. It happened about that time. Yeah, right around that time. So let's get back to the printing then. So, you know, you eventually got this bigger press that could print like yeah. on an eight and a half by 11 sheet. Yeah. Now, what was the first job you did? Well, how, how did it, how did, I know you talked about, you know, printing your uh, own tablet of paper for school, you know, that yeah, you that's could write probably on. the first thing I did. <laughs> I, well, well, but I was, like for someone else, like what so was. I got to know the, 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 the publisher, the Mantino paper at that time. Uh, he just come to town. He from Chicago and uh, I, I got to know him a little bit and, and uh and he, he taught his me, name was russell m- m- no mr no. mansfield mansfield yeah and i was interested in well i was going to b- maybe print this little newspaper for our school uh now just a single sheet two sides at that time and uh i think he maybe set it up for me once then he th- thought oh, i'm gonna let you learn to run this machine you can set it yourself and then he was pretty brave but he he did that he he let a kid get on his machine and, and and set type, and I'd set it, and I'd have mistakes. I'd have to go back and set lines over, and but uh, it was a good learning experience for a a, a kid in seventh and eighth grade. So um, was that the Linotype machine then, or what was yeah, that? Yeah, his, his Linotype. His machine. Linotype machine. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and I did that. I I think we did two or three issues, or maybe more, because and, and I graduated then in eighth grade, so that didn't happen anymore. Uh, but I did several issues of that, one for the grade school, one for the high school. And uh, but then about that, just about before I started, was able to do that, um, I uh, acquired a, a printing press in a, from a shop in Bonfield. This fellow was uh, putting an ad in the paper, and he was going to be selling his shop because he was being transferred. He worked for the railroad and they were moving him on. And so he put an ad in the Kankakee paper and I heard about it. And the folks went out there on a Sunday and we looked at it and they thought it'd be a nice thing for me to have. So they, uh, they, he wanted $250, I think. And they weren't, we weren't very prosperous in those days, like everyone else during the war, but they, they went to, to the city national bank in Kankakee and the, the guy loaned him $250 and <clears throat> We went out there and we bought that and and brought it home. And I had it sitting out in the yard for a little while because uh, I didn't have a place to put it. But we had a chicken house right next to where it was setting. And uh, the ch- the chicken house was kind of a long building with a like a, a, a room off to one end to the side. <clears throat> we didn't have that many chickens anymore. So I shooed all the chickens in that one side and tore the chicken house all apart and cleaned it up. Uh, put some new boards on the floor and and uh, rubber uh, flooring, rubber matting on the floor, and put some uh, blocks, cinder blocks underneath of the floor joists to hold them up because I'm going to put some heavy printing and press this in there, and I didn't want the things to wobble all over. The floor had to be pretty tight, so I did all that. And uh, Bean's dad had a sawmill, and we had a, a lot of of uh, boards over there. I lined the, the inside walls with these boards and took sawdust and put in the in between the walls and made that made a good insulation for winter times so, so I could keep it warm in there. And I did all that and I got some Celotex 
uh, material that you, it's like a, a wall board, and uh, nail it on the walls and on the ceiling, and that made the place look pretty nice. And that, then I moved that press in there that I got from Bonfield. Then I what kind of press? What was it called? Do you remember? It was called Old Style Gordon. Okay. Uh, eight by twelve. And I used that, and I, I printed that little school paper with that and, and other things that came along, and I did that for a while. Then I found when then I when I this Mr. Mansfield, I used to go and and uh, after this was in high school now probably, I uh, was over there and I saw an ad in a uh, magazine a newspaper that he got for printers. Someone had a little bigger press than what I had for sale in Chicago. And uh, we went and looked at that, and they bought that for me. And I had it hauled home. And we put that in there, so I had two machines. And that printing press come from the Perkins Products Company, the original makers of Kool-Aid pro uh, products really? that you made drinks with. Yeah. And uh, got it in that building, and that had been in that Kool-Aid place for a long, long time. And, and had grease and oil and stuff accumulated on it, and all that sweet-smelling Kool-Aid powder was on there, and <laughs> that was like the sweetest-smelling smelling print shop in a long ways away. <laughs> well, I, I suppose it got rid of maybe some of that chicken smell. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, I didn't have any in there at that time, but um, so that, then I uh, printed whatever come along from uh, people in Mantino, uh, I got one fellow who was a, he, he drove a truck and hauled uh, drugs from Chicago to the Kankakee drug stores and he needed freight bills. So I again had my uncle in Chicago find a, a, I gave him a sample of a freight bill I wanted and he had someone set that up for me so I'd have a plate and I could print the freight bill. So I did that and that's, that was probably in uh, eighth grade. I did some of that. Okay. So that would have been the late. Uh, that's 47. 47, okay. Yeah. So then did, did a lot of things. I printed some wedding invitations for uh, several people back in those days. And uh, a lot of different jobs that come around. I was able to do it. I did them. And then I went to high school. And the first year I went to St. Pat's in Kankakee. And that was kind of a hard hardship to getting down there all the time because you had a a thumb or right or take a real early bus to get down there. And uh, so I did that for a year, but I I liked the school, but I just didn't like the traveling. So yeah, I uh, next year I went to Mantino High School. And uh, during the course of the school year, why it was time to uh, print annuals or to get the annuals put together. Which is the yearbook. Yearbook, right. yeah. yeah. So I asked Mr. Nagy, who printed them? And he says, well, fellas in Piatone print them. And then uh, I found out how much a page he they charged to print them. And I told him, well, I thought I could do that too. So he did a lot of thinking about it. And he gave me the job. Here I am, sophomore in high school. Printing the yearbook. Yeah. And I I didn't have the type equipment to set it up with, but I, I found there was a place in Peoria that set type for people. So I got all my copy together and marked out how long I wanted the line set and I sent all that to Peoria, and they set it all up and sent it back Railway Express, and I picked it up and laid it all out, and I, I printed the annual. But you didn't have any 
binding equipment. No, so, I didn't have to. So how how did it get bound together then? All, from all I had it? to do was print the pages. Blankenberg photographers printed all the, the color or the picture pages, photography wise, and I printed the page across from it, telling what was on that page. Okay, gotcha. that's how that worked. And then when it was all printed, I brought all my paper to the high school. Why they that and all the pictures. They sh shipped that to Galesburg to a bindery house, and they did the binding, and it all worked out good. It looked nice when it come back. Do you still have? You oh, still yeah. have one of those? Yeah. I got two of them. Yeah, two of them. Okay. Yeah, I printed it two years. Okay, so your sophomore year and your junior year, yeah. I take it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I did that, and he 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 was worried. He'd come over every once in a while and see <laughs> how I was getting along with that thing. <laughs> But I, I made it done. And then another time when I was over there at Mantino schools, it was election time in Mantino, and there was about four people running for mayor. And uh, they printed, that was paper ballots back then. And so Mr. Mansfield, the newspaper, he set up the, the type form for the ballots, but he didn't have a printing press to print it. Uh, so he gave it to me, and I took it back to my shop, and I printed the ballots. I think we printed probably 500 that was about they never usually usually use that many but anyway they did 500 and there was a lot of people voting that day and in the afternoon uh mr nagy got a call from him mansfield that uh, they were running out of ballots have franklin go home and print some more ballots so he had to come get me out of school i went home and printed some more ballots for him that's the funniest story. I always yeah. enjoy that one. It's just I'm just thinking about that, you know, how you get called out of school because you got to print more ballots. <laughs> yeah, that's just great. Um, and I was gonna comment too for anyone that actually wants to see a uh, a linotype machine. You obviously you can you know you can Google that. You can look it up on YouTube. But there's also actually one at the Kankakee County Museum. Yeah, there's one I, there. That I highly suggest going to see if you're yeah. interested in seeing. So a, a linotype machine is what actually made those uh, lead pieces of type that yeah. would make your your sentences or you know whatever it was that you were printing. The you had a, a, a hot metal pot. We call it, it melted the lead. It was uh, 550 degrees all the time, and and when you set a linotype, the a mechanism would send those those all those little letters that make up words were called matrix, made out of brass. And uh, they would go across into a casting mechanism on the machine, and they'd fit up type against a, a mouthpiece from the, the metal pot, and uh, a plunger would push a bunch of lead up against those uh, matrix uh, and, uh, and form that line of type. And there was a mold that... that uh, Metal went in, so the 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 the, the uh, body of the type line would only be so thick and so long, and it'd be nice and smooth and be all uh, uh, equal on the one side to the other. You know, it wasn't ragged, and and that's how that's how that was done. And then they'd cut them to size and and, and you'd put them in a in the printing press and you print. So, yeah, I mean, you must have been doing pretty well for, you know, being in, in middle school and, and even in high school. As far as you always had, 
I, I would imagine you always had some money on you. I always had a few dollars, yeah. <laughs> I was I was lucky. I was I always had was spending money, yeah. <clears throat> and one time my dad was in the hospital and my sister and I went to see him and we took the bus to Kankakee and we got off the bus and as the way as we were walking to the hospital, why we went past a little candy store on Court Street and uh I stopped in there and we got a little bag of candy. And I reached in my pocket and pulled out a bunch of change or whatever I happened to have. And my, she says, you got, where, where'd you get all that money? <laughs> I says, I got a print shop. <laughs> and I was as proud as could be. I had a print shop. So you're doing, you know, you're doing so well. You're, you're printing for, you know, helping Mr. Mansfield <clears throat> with different things. You're printing for that trucking company. Um, so, you know, things are just building up for you in high school. I know you printed for the, a little bit for the nuns as well oh, yeah. uh, at Our Lady Academy, yeah. which was a, uh, which was the Catholic school attached to St. Joe's here in Mantino. Right. Um, so what happens after, after you graduate high school and you finished <clears throat> at St. Pat's, right? Yeah, I did. I went back and finished at St. Pat's. Um after high school, I went to work at a public service company, and uh, I worked there as a groundman for a few years. And uh, I wasn't that work wasn't working out right with me because I had a weak back, and I I could see what those fellows were doing, and that was just something I wasn't able to handle. I didn't think so. And that was actually like putting up the electricity yeah, poles and yeah. things like that. So I left there, and eventually I got a job working out at. Uh, Florence Stove Company in West Kankakee as a, in their shipping department. And I worked there till they always have layoffs over there. They run out of parts of everybody on the line has to go home. Well, for some reason or other, they, they didn't have a lot of orders or going, so I got laid off. Where was that in Kankakee, the Florence? That's the one where Roper's was. It's all tore down. Okay, that was, oh, I forgot that was the name of Roper At that before. Time. Yeah, yeah. Um, before it was Roker. Yeah. Okay. And so then I got laid off, and uh, it was hard to find a job because I was what they called draft bait back then. And uh, and I got laid off in, uh, before Christmas. Anyway, I got a letter from Uncle Sam a little while later. Your friends and family want you to go to the service. And uh, is that really what it says? Your friends and family want you to not, go. I forget out, but it's somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in May, then I went to the army. So then nothing happened for a couple of years. And that would have been before the Korean War, right? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was at the end of the Korean War. Or the end. I went in on a tail end of that. And I never went overseas. I was always in the States somewhere. Right. And uh, so I, I served those two years out, and I got out, and then we got married. Ann and I got married. And uh, then I went to work at a newspaper in Onarga as a printer helping put the pages together and do job printing that they had to, to do over there. Another fellow and I did all that work. And I did that for a, a year or so, and I got a chance to come to Kankakee and work at Acme Printing Company, and uh, that was more job printing, which I liked. I wasn't crazy in newspaper printing. And uh, uh, Just so 
uh, people have referenced the Acme printing was where the gas and wash is yeah, now right. in Kankakee. They t- actually tore that that building down That's all in about. order in order to build that gas and wash. Yeah, yeah. By the uh, Pope Race building. Yeah. In in Kankakee, so. So I worked there for a number of years, and and then my work was. I was kind of getting busy at my shop a little bit, and and I, then I had a chance to uh, uh, go to work in Pieto in the newspaper again. And I was going to make a few more dollars. Well, I was going to get about the same pay, but I got to use their equipment to use for myself, <laughs> uh, which well, wasn't happening before. Well, before you continue, I, I always wondered why, straight out of high school, why didn't you stick with just printing as your job for I was, yourself was because uh, just... i thought that'd be a nice place to go work and get a long, good longevity at those big companies you know and okay and, but uh this wasn't worked out right for me yeah at that time yeah. anyway right out yeah. of high school but anyway so you were working for uh russell you said yeah, i went to the... work for russell printing in piatone yeah in 69 and i worked there till i opened my shop in 71 so it wasn't right. It wasn't long. And, and during this whole time, you were still printing, though. In my at in, home. At home. Yeah. yeah. I, after I got back from the service, then we built a home. And I put that stuff that was in that chicken house print shop down in our basement. So I did a number of jo- a lot of work down there. I'd come home at night and I always had a lot of stuff to do. So that was just kind of like a, a part-time you had a full-time job and then a part-time, part-time job. job yeah. And that was pretty much just word of mouth from when people knew that you printed before, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was just... Yeah, a lot of it wasn't. Some of it was... Uh, I was doing some work for somebody who had ties with A.O. Smith, and I'd print things for them, and it was going to all the different places in the country, so literature for uh, people that sell A.O. Smith silos and things of that nature. That... and. That worked out pretty well. It kept me busy, and that's that's what it was all about, and I enjoyed it. Always liked what I did. So, something that uh, came up the other night: um, the uh, the Noble Dairy Queen stores. Oh yeah, the um, <clears throat> they're actually sponsors of this podcast now. Oh, are they? Um, I talked to uh, Joe, who is their uh, he he kind of runs the day to day operations of all the different stores, and I was telling him that. Hey, my grandfather actually used to do printing for Sherb Noble. Now I couldn't tell him much more than that because I didn't know like when do you when did you that do- happened after I moved into that shop at Russell? Yeah, I think so. No, after I, after I left Russell's, uh, I might have done some of that in the basement. I'm I can't quite remember exactly, mm-hmm. but anyway, I there was a lot of little league teams here in town and uh, he would print up little cards and it was good for a Dairy Queen. And he'd give those to the coaches. And after the game, the coaches would give all the boys a, a, a free ca- a card to go get a Dairy Queen. Well, the, the boys would go over to Dairy Queen and they had their mother and dad and sister and brother with them. So they all got some. So he, he gave away one, but he got four or five others. He got people to he, buy. He knew yeah. what he was doing. Yeah. And I yeah. did that for a number of years. And then I got so I was printing for his Dairy Queen business, different forms that he used in the business. Uh, How did you meet Sherb Noble? Through a friend uh, that worked over there, Bob Pearson. Uh, 
he he and I, he was a printer also. He worked out at Amberg's in Kankakee, and I got to know him. And I, he was a real nice fellow. And his his folks even worked for Sherwood when he first started the business. And uh, then and when his folks got old, his son Bob came in their place and took it over. Okay, but. Uh, but I did a lot of work for sure. Yeah. So that was, you think, late '60s or sometime in the '70s. Yeah. You started. Yeah, I did doing some work in the '70s. Him. Yeah. Yeah. So you get the building opened up in 1971 under Weber Printing, or technically F Weber Printing. Yeah. We just always said Weber, just because it I had uh, to do that because of incorporation. Right. There was another Weber Printing somewhere. And we couldn't have that. So who was? Who was working there besides you? How did that all fall in line? When that first opened, it was Ann and myself. I was over there all day and come back and work at night for about two, three hours. But in the mornings, Ann would come over and she'd be working by the desk and answering the phone or whatever. It was slow at first getting going. But uh, yeah, she'd come over and help me. And she helped me for 40 years. Uh, working there in the front and, and talking with people and the customers and doing the book work and all that type of thing that she, she had to do. And she did a good job of that. So that was fine. Eventually, a uh, number of years later, while my daughter-in-law was working there, and she gave her some of that job <clears throat> so she didn't have to do it all. And that's, that worked out all right, too. And, uh, and then number... Uh, my boys were all in high school when I started that, so they, they weren't over there unless they'd come in after school and look around. But they they were not involved in it too much. But finally, Danny graduated and he went to work at a spring factory in Chicago Heights uh, for a number of years. Not too many, but he he, he stayed there for a while. And I think they might have gotten a slowdown, and he was maybe laid off. Then he came to work for me, and then he stayed there for 35 years, maybe somewhere like that. And then Jim, he was out of high school, and then eventually he went into the Marine Corps, and he was in there three years. And uh, when he got out, why, he came and he, he worked over there too as a pressman, and he worked there until we closed it up. And Danny was a pressman, and, and uh, he he also did all the work in what we call the the back room on the letterpress printing and printing and scoring covers to be folded and printing raffle tickets and numbering them and all that kind of works. And he got doing that quite well. We had a man working for us by the name of Vic Chicky, and he, he was a retired printer from uh, up near the Heights. And uh, he lived in a trailer park. So he'd come over one time after he got settled here and talked to us. And so he came over and worked for us uh, a few hours a day. I forget how many. But anyway, he was there for a number of years till he got not feeling well and couldn't work anymore. And he taught Danny a lot about how to run a linotype machine and uh, how to run that Heidelberg press and do nice work on it. So that worked out quite well. We were happy to have him and help Danny to be uh, good at what he had to do. And that worked out good. And Jim? Yeah, I imagine you were, uh, at that time, you were busy with other stuff. I mean, I'm sure you showed him a, a running the letterpress and the, the oh, yeah. type, but you were so busy. I was doing other shop. things, so, and, yeah. and Vic was a good teacher for him, maybe better than I was teaching him. 
And uh, but he taught him well, and, and he'd listen to him, mm-hmm. and uh, that worked out nice. And uh, I showed Jim pretty much how to do the offset printing when he he came in there on the, on the little what we call the twelve fifty multilith press, and and uh, uh, he he got that down pat, and he did do it then all the while he was there. He printed all kinds of different jobs on that uh, offset press. Several different kinds of offset presses he could run, and uh, and then when John Rocha was working there, well, he'd run the bigger presses, offset presses, and uh, they all they were all busy at a lot of times. So sometimes I had some other help in there, uh, helping out and occasionally, or and uh, when we needed more people, to, they could come in and they knew how to run some of those machines, and that worked out very well too. So. It all worked out good for us. And I don't know exactly, but I, and my, my mother, Dawn Lamore, she worked in the, the pre-press yeah. department. And I want to say she started full-time after high school, right? Yeah, she after, well, she after high school and she went to the uh, to career center and studied printing. So she got a good knowledge, of a lot of that stuff early on. And so she was able to come in there and, and uh, do work up front and, and uh, we were still doing uh, paste up, uh, putting stuff together to do on offset printing. And then, then we started getting in a computer to where we could set stuff up on a, and come out on film and then make plates from that. And that made a big difference in how our, our workflow went. And that was a much better. And then later on, uh, we hired a, a girl by the name of Kathy. Uh, what was her? I can't remember. I don't know. I always knew Deathridge. Her as, Kathy I always Deathridge. knew it was Deathridge, but she was uh, she had a different name at the time. I, I can't no, remember her. It was, ma- it was her maiden name. Her maiden name was Hartman. That's what it was. And she'd worked at uh, uh, a little shop on Court Street in, in Kankakee, uh, in a little print shop there. And that, that lady was going to re- retire. And and uh, I think I heard that story, and and I knew that this girl was working there, and that she was doing nice work. So, so I called the lady to see if she could have permission to come in down and see me if she was closing. That was fine. So she came down. She was like in her very early 20s, all clean, real spiffy, nice looking, you know. And boy, it's, it's, right there, she was a nice, nice person to have. And she was. She's beautiful, beautiful uh, personality with her. And she got along fine with people. And, and uh, that's what you need. And, because people come in sometimes and want the craziest things done, and you got to kind of watch yourself how you deal with them to try and keep everybody happy. But she was good at that, and she worked there for over 30 years. And then one Sunday, uh, three years ago, she had a stroke and died on the spot. And that was shocked us to, you couldn't believe how, how bad that was to hear. She was just like one of our children because she'd been there so long. And that was pretty tough. But we found another person to take her place from Kankakee, Nan Wagner, and she filled in then until we closed the shop. And she was good at her her work too. She was had she was real good artistic, and she could do a lot of things that that uh, the other Kathy hadn't been able to do yet. <clears throat> so we lucked out all the way around. 
Yeah, I got, you know, I, I grew up going there and, and seeing Kathy. And so she was almost like a uh, an aunt or a, a mother to me. And then yeah. once I finally started working there full time, we worked side by side, just like my mom used to do with her. And so, yeah, she was amazing. She was uh, one of the one of the heartbeats of the of the print shop. She sure was. Yeah. Yeah. She she and that John Rocha, they were my what I call the real t- top ones over there, that they had a lot of g- g- getting going to get things done, you know, and they d- did a good job. My boys did too, but th- th- they were just uh, uh, f- fine people to work for you. And so to, uh, I can't remember if we went over this or not, but to go over it again before, for offset printing, before you would design something on the computer, and then get that transferred to film, and then get that transferred to a plate, we had this ginormous camera in the dark room. And you would literally, someone would bring in a picture or maybe a sheet of type, right? And you would literally take a picture of that and then develop that film, and then that film would go onto the... The plate, right? Yeah, a lot of times. And then we did other things with that camera, too. Uh, when the Versatech started up and the hospital closed down, people were buying some buildings out there, and they had big blueprints, and they needed uh, copies of those blueprints, and, and we'd have to put the blueprint in that big copy board on the camera and shoot part of it. Then we'd have to move it over and make another copy of it. And uh, that, would, that would be filmed. Then we'd have to take that film eventually and put it all together and uh, make one copy of it. So they, they had something to look at. And that was, that was kind of uh, t- tedious getting all that lined up right. Yeah, because there's a lot of details and blueprints. Yeah. So. And uh, we we did some of that. Yeah. And it seems like the, there was always someone wanting to bring uh, uh, something like that in to have copies made. And that was what we'd have to try and accomplish for him. Right. And then um, eventually you did hire Lyndon Walker. Yeah. For a, He was there for a long time yeah. as well. Because I was doing a lot of that, and I just didn't have the time anymore. And, yeah, and, and uh, I don't remember how we uh, got a hold of him or he heard about us or what. But anyway, he came to work. He worked for us for a number of years, and that's what, pretty much what he did. It was a dark room work and light table, putting... When he developed in the dark room, he'd come out in the light table and put it together so he could, uh, and he'd burn a plate uh, that we could put on the press and print the job. And he, he, he did some pretty good work, too. He was, was uh, kind of tedious work also, printing books and things, and he'd have to put all those pages together just right so when we printed it and folded it, it all came out correctly. So, yeah, he was... He was good, and he eventually went to work at uh, in Bradley, where they make pop cans. Yeah, the uh, cork, cork and seal. Cork and, yeah, cork and seal, I guess it is. Yeah. And as far as I know, he still works there. The whole time you're working for Russell, you're still doing your own printing at home. And then finally, what was the point where you're like, okay, I, I know that I can do this completely on my own? Well, I just figured I could. I've been it's been going pretty well, and and uh, if I get and my business was going to be right on Highway Fifty, and uh, that's just what we did. And I opened it up on the day after Labor Day on seventy one, 
And uh, I know the first or second day, my wife and I were getting ready to go to lunch, and here, cars pulling at 12 o'clock. Well, I, we were, I thought, darn it, we're just going to lunch. Well, <laughs> happened to be, there were fellows from the purchasing department from Bennett's Industries in Piotone. Oh. And uh, they come in, wanted to know if I could do some of their printing for them. I said, sure. And that started the thing until they moved out of town. That was a, that was a good first customer. And I, I did a lot of work for Azarelli Construction Company until I closed the doors. Right. From 70, about 72, I think. But even after that, you you did construction or you uh, pr- continued to print for uh, Kankakee. What is it? K- Casey, what, what's their name now? Kankakee Valley Construction Corp. Yeah, yeah, right? that's what it is now, but it was yeah. Azarelli's then. Right, but... It, and you, I still do we, it. We were still doing it up until the business closed this yeah, last year. Yeah. yeah, They were a good, loyal customer. Right, one they of the... They uh, lose them. Yeah. Well, I didn't lose them. I, they lost me. Is what right, yeah. But that was one of the, the longest customers we yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and for point of reference, so Weber Printing... Uh, the building is right across from uh, Burkotts and Latino, yeah. just for point yeah, of right reference. The street. Um, but one of the, you know, so it's 1971, you open the doors, <clears throat> business starts taking off more yeah. and more. And one of the, the milestones I would say for the business yeah. was when we, we started printing those fortune. Yeah. We slips. Uh, went Ann and I and John worked with me. We went uptown for lunch one day, and when we about got back, about what year was this? By about the way, seventy-four or five. Okay. Uh, they had a phone call from Chicago and uh, Chinese people in the fortune cookie business, and they were getting their fortune papers printed in in San Francisco, and they were having trouble getting them. They were never on time, and uh, he was a good. He liked to play poker, and a good friend of mine from Mantino. Also liked to play poker, and, and uh, this Tommy that had the business in Chicago also had a Cliff and Tommy's restaurant in Moni, and uh, that's th- where they that go and play there? cards on Sunday. Is that still there? It's still there, different yeah, name, right? And so he was telling his troubles about not getting papers, and he said, "Well, you maybe you should go talk to Weber and Mantino." Well, he didn't know if he could do that. Well, he says you should ask him. <laughs> so maybe the next day or whenever uh, they called. Wanted to talk about that, so I come when I got back from lunch and heard all that. I called them up and found out what they wanted, and uh, I cut up some paper, a couple of different kinds of paper, uh, to the size they wanted, and uh, I sent it to them to see if that would run through their cookie machines okay. And one of them worked fine, and that's what we did. And so they, I think I printed up uh, maybe five hundred pounds of, of papers. That's how we sold it to him by the pound. And we sent that over there and it worked fine. And for about 20 years, we printed their papers. And then they also were involved with a sister company in Houston. And then we got to be printing their papers. And that went on for a long time. And then one day I got a call from another fellow in Houston, wanted me to print his papers. And I told him I didn't think I would maybe want to do that because I had a customer there already, and they wouldn't be happy with me doing their uh, uh, competitors' uh, work. Yeah. yeah, so I just left it like that and didn't think no more about it. About three, four days later, 
here that guy comes walking in the front door. He got on a plane, flew to Chicago and rented a car and come down and begged me to print his papers. And so I relented and I did. And we printed those, I think, for three years. Did, and, uh, did, uh, because Golden Dragon was the competitor, right? Did they ever find that, out about the, that? Golden Dragon was the original owner, of original customer. Yeah. And then they had their sister company, Noodles of China in Houston. And then this other one, the competitor, you can't remember. I forgot the name of his right now. Yeah, but, but did anyway, they, did did they ever? Did Golden Dragon ever find out about it? Oh, sure. It? Yeah, because okay. when when the truck would deliver papers to uh, the one in Houston, mm-hmm. there might be some on there for this other fella, and they'd see that. Oh, see, that's what I was worried about. Mm-hmm. And, and did he ever mention? They, anything oh, to they you? they teased me about it. Or, did they? Yeah, kind of. But nothing ever happened. I said we printed oh, okay. papers until. Uh, the, some Vietnamese came to Chicago and started printing fortune cookies or making fortune cookies, and they made them cheaper than what the Chinese people could, and they just finally give it up, and I didn't get no more work done. Yeah. We, we, it would trickle in <clears throat> once in a while. Well, like he would still call us up once in a while. Well, yeah, but we did special orders too, along with all these, this big order. Yeah. Uh, for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, we print special papers. Maybe a thousand, might be five thousand, might only be a uh, hundred and fifty, but uh, we do that. Yeah, it wasn't the the regular no. everyday. The other ones cookies. we'd ship out like twenty five hundred pounds at a clip. Yeah, big skids of them, and I think the, uh, the weight was thirty two thousand pounds in th- a year for three different. Uh, Cookie houses. Yeah, it's it's in the paper. It's in the book, and I forget it's it's in your memoir, and I I can't remember the exact number either. But But literally, it was a bunch because my oldest son cut all those papers on a paper cutter. Dan Weber. Yeah, and uh, he had a. We sold it by the pound, so we had to keep track of the weight, and and so he always kept track of it and how much he shipped out uh, each time, and he at the end of the year he'd tally all that up, and that's what it amounted to. It's just it's so cool to to think our our little little town of Mantino yeah. had this print shop that literally would print the fortune cookie slips by the tons. Yeah. And did that for so long. I can't so for me growing up as a kid in the early 90s when this uh business was was still operating quite heavily with the fortune cookie slips literally every time I would come into the print shop cuz my mom Dawn worked there uh as a graphic designer so i was there all the time every time i'd come in you were in the back on the biggest press we had printing fortunes yeah and then i'd always see uncle dan uncle danny he was always always cutting him up we'd have to cut him up to size he'd put stuff them all in a box and like you said weigh them out and then away they would go yeah and when they would come pick him up I always loved that they left us the the they give us bags upon bags of the broken fortune cookies. Yeah, the fortune didn't stay into the cookie uh, when it was when it made the fold the fold of the the cookie dough and and that paper is supposed to sit down and supposed to fold it and the paper stay inside. Well, a lot of them didn't, and so uh, they'd keep they'd have to take those out and they get a bunch of them. They come down here, they would bring two or three bags or whatever. And I 
we kept some, and I'd send sometimes out to the veterans' homes, let the old soldiers have some fortunes. And, and I think they, and we also got some nice cookies from them the too. The almond they made. cookies, right? Yeah, they yeah. were good. Yeah, I just remember. I would always, almost every time I was there, I would have a fortune cookie or I'd eat one of those almond cookies because there was always so many that they're just, it was kind of like having a a candy bowl. Yeah. Like it was always there. I liked they even had, uh, it's the only time I've ever had one, but they even had, remember they had the chocolate uh, cookies? They had the chocolate fortune cookies they would sometimes bring us. Do you remember yeah, those? I, yeah, I guess so, yeah. That's the only kind of time. About them. That's the only time I've ever had a chocolate fortune cookie. But Yeah, that was the rejects, yeah. Um, right, the rejects. But that's the only time I've ever, all the different Chinese restaurants yeah. that I've been to, they've never given me a chocolate one. And, yeah. and I, I think there was two other cookie houses in Chicago that I did work for too, but not on that big a scale. Right. And and I started getting uh, paper papers when uh, people hear about how I pr- I printed these things. I don't know how they found out about it, but when the Chinese New Year or something to come around, I would get a uh, a clipping of a newspaper from uh, uh, Ge- I think in Georgia maybe where the, they saw in there, and I had mentioned that Weber printing in Mantine, Illinois printed the, uh, a lot of fortune cookies. Papers and and people would send me those clippings. Uh-huh. Huh? That's cool. That's really cool. Um. So how did wh- where where do we go from there? So that's that started in seventy five. That went on till in the nineties. Mid, right, mid late nineties, somewhere yeah. somewhere around yeah. there. It seems like after nine uh, eleven time, things started slowing down in in, in my business. Electronics was coming in and uh, changing the way the printing was going on, and printing wasn't as st- sound as it had been. So uh, it, it started just dwindling a little bit, little by little. And, and uh, we we had work to do, but nothing like when we had all those fortunes to print. That was a, a good, steady job. Right. And for reference, too, we, uh, you know, we, we talked about how you started off on a letterpress, but. Yeah. You did move to offset printing, which is probably the the type of printing more people are are more uh, yeah. aware of. Well, that's what, how we did the fortunes. They were all on offset printing. Yeah, which is your uh, in, instead of putting your type together uh, with little pieces of lead and stuff, you're actually burning your type with photography. You're with working photography. photography and film. Yeah, and then and a lot of those fortunes too. We had to print uh, uh, on the back side. Lotto tick, lotto yeah, the lotto numbers, numbers right? They, yeah, yeah, they wanted lotto numbers on there. So we had to print lotto numbers. So you printed, I had to press it, print on one side and turn the sheet over and print on the other side. So it all come out at one time. Otherwise, you'd have had to print one side, run all the paper back through, handle it, and print it again. So you got what you call a perfecter press, and uh, that would do that. So uh, that worked out very well. It was all sheet-fed presses. Yeah. It wasn't no. uh, the uh, the web press, no, which is no. the press Never with the, the big roll of paper. No. Um, and when, with offset, you're you're using a, a, a plate. Your your image and your type is on a plate. Thin aluminum plate. Yeah, right. real real thin. And, if, and the ink inks it up, and in the in the plate, when it, the press goes on impression to print, it puts the image on the rubber blanket cylinder, and then the, when the paper goes through. It uh, the rubber blanket cylinder 
uh, presses on the paper, and there's an impression cylinder under the under the paper, so that impresses the ink onto the paper and it's delivered out. And that's that's how that system works. And there's also there there is at least one small offset printing press at the Kankakee County Museum as well that I think so. you can see. I I know there is at least one. They've got a, a little one color press there, kind of similar to some of the presses we had. Yeah. Um, but uh, in case anyone actually wants to, you know, see one in person. Yeah. So obviously they're not going to operate it at the museum, but you can at least see it. So For, for uh, a long time, I always claimed that I had a museum, but I had a working museum because everything run. You, I, uh, People come in the front to order stuff and I get talking with them and I'd bring them to the back and show them how things used to work. And all oh, they, they just loved to watch me run the linotype machine and set uh, a line of type with their name on it. You know, they just thought that was the greatest thing and how that machine worked. It was all the intricacies about it. It was quite a, quite a thing. Yeah. So we had a, uh, our, the, I'm, I'm, you might be listening to this and thinking that you've been to the back of the museum that we had too, which is the uh, equipment that I've been helping sell. So that's where all the letterpress, the letterpresses were, and we had something similar to the linotype, which is called an intertype. Yeah, very same thing, just a different name. Just a different name, different brand, different company. Doors officially closed December 2020. Um, and I mean, it. it's hard to... Um, it's hard to see it go, but it's been it's been good to be able like I've really enjoyed being able to spend more time with you lately and making sure all of the equipment finds a good home. You know, yeah, that's been working out pretty good. Yeah. And that's that's been um, that's been fulfilling to do that, you know, so I've really enjoyed enjoyed doing that with you lately. So. Um, but you know, all the, there's actually more stories to your memoir than just the printing stories too. There's all kinds of other stories as well. So if, if anyone wants, uh, to buy a copy of the, uh, Prairie Land printer, you can, uh, you can contact me and I can arrange to get you a copy. So, and I think my brother's, my brother, Josh, who helped with the book, I think he still has, has them on sale online. So if you type in Prairie Land printer on, on like a Google search, I can't remember the exact web address off the top of my mind. Um, but uh, I believe he still has it up for sale online. I'll actually, now that I think about it, I'll make sure to have a link um, at kankakeepodcast.com that you can go and you can buy buy the book better yet so yeah. but you can always just contact me if you want to get a copy of it so it's yeah. it's it's pretty interesting to hear all the different stories because um you're, you're one of the people in the family that i got my <clears throat> interest in history from you know so um it's uh there's there's other kind of you know historical stories in there about mantino or just about the area as well in your memoir yeah so yeah it was interesting life and i enjoyed it all uh or i wouldn't have done it mm -hmm. but anyway wait going way back to when when i uh, first got that little printing press uh after i got that that day it was a day or so later when i was visiting there uh in the afternoon of a, a mr mcgillivray came over to visit 
my aunt and uncle, and he was their insurance person. And so we were uh, standing out in the backyard talking, and I was standing there too, and he says, young man, what would you like to be when you grew up? I said, I want to be a printer. Just like that, that's when I announced it. <laughs> <laughs> and you were, yeah, for a long and, time. Oh, he says, I don't know. He says, I know some printers, and uh, they didn't have a very good life. And what happened back in some of those early days where they had to print with this letterpress equipment that we talk about, and a lot of the times, a lot of the stuff was all handset type. And when they go printing with it, the little spaces between the words uh, are always a lot shorter than the word, the type for the words, uh, letters. And uh, in the process of uh, printing, those they have a tendency to work up, and they, pretty soon you got a big black mark between two words. And uh, they might print a bunch of them before they notice it, and they got to stop and probably throw some of that out and uh, loosen the form up and push them down. And anyway, they they had a, quite a time with that. And, and when uh, 4 o'clock came and they got to go home, uh, before they went home, they went to the corner saloon, and they all had a few drinks. And they, I think probably a lot of them become alcoholics, and he— he didn't want to see me being an alcoholic, so he that's why he didn't think I should be a printer. But I, I, I was never one to be going to the neighbor's saloon, so I, 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 earned, I was okay. I didn't have no problem with that. <laughs> well, anything else, Papa? No, I think we pretty much got it, uh, what, what I've done in my time. And yeah. There, yeah, there's probably a lot of things. <laughs> there's always something. That, that's in my book that I didn't talk about tonight. Right, yeah. And there's just all the more reason that people need to read it. So yeah. if they, they want to read a, a good story. So, but, think, um, sorry, think, go ahead. Things how we, we lived during the war years. Uh, a lot of people would probably never want to do some of those things that we we did. But anyway, we didn't come out fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, 88 years old and you're still here. So yes, I'm still here going, yeah. <laughs> Slowed well, down some, but yeah. still able to get around. And you get around pretty well, if you ask yeah. me, for for being eighty eight. So, but um, thank you, thank you, Papa, for for uh, talking to me, and yeah, and uh, I'm glad uh, glad we could record this conversation again. So okay. we've we've done this a couple of times before, but this yeah. is the the first time uh, been able to actually uh, kind of spread this out to the public everywhere on right. on Kankakee yeah, the, podcast so they, they may be enjoyed i don't know but i it was always enjoyment for me yeah it was work but i liked it so yeah all right well thank you papa okay you're welcome well that's it for Kankakee podcast i'm jake lamore thank you so much for downloading this podcast and giving it a listen if uh, you get a chance go back and listen to uh, the previous episodes at kankakeepodcast.com or you can find them where Ever it is that uh, you, you listen to your podcasts, you can also follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram at Kankakee Podcast. And while you're at it, give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or once again, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. It really does go a long way. Um, I will also have uh, special pictures and, and videos to go along with this episode at KankakeePodcast.com. If you want to become a sponsor for the show, you can also find out about that on our website and um, I look forward to talking with you next week our theme song is by Lupe Carroll
tend to stick to. 